My beard has grown out so much that it rubs against my microphone now. You hear that? I'm talking to Hannah from Seattle, Washington. This is Stranger Than Christian. Welcome to another episode of Stranger Than Christian. My name is Christian Carrion. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you some shit that happened to me at work earlier this week. So I am a cashier at a supermarket. I got laid off from the hotel a few months ago, and I was craving a regular normal job. And that's what I got. And I work at this little mom and pop supermarket and it's beautiful. It's beautiful in its simplicity. It's beautiful in just how regular and normal it is. It's this little animal crossing ass job. I'm not in charge of anyone. I'm not a supervisor. I get to work and I get to leave and I love it because customer service comes naturally to me. And part of that skill set coming naturally is this ability to let bad customer interactions roll off my back. If a customer is rude, if they're nasty, if they're argumentative, I have the ability to move on, let it happen and not let it affect the quality of service. And I'm really proud of that. But this one was fun. So I was at Fastlane. Now, Fastlane is like what we at the store call our self-checkout area. So there are four self-checkout registers. And when you're in charge of Fastlane, you have a screen in front of you that shows you what's happening on each register. So you get to see what everyone's buying, how much they're spending. If there's a problem with the register, it'll blink red and you can go help whoever it is at the register. And this one woman called me over to help her maybe like eight or nine times, which is perfectly fine. And she didn't use the help button. She kind of waved me over and went, hello, you know, and called me over that way. Again, it's fine. Because this is my theory when it comes to self-checkout. Everyone who uses self-checkout, especially everyone of a certain older demographic, is already baseline angry by the time they get to self-checkout. Because self-checkout is confusing. It's more confusing than just going to the cashier, putting your stuff on the belt, having them ring it out and bag it for you, and going on with your day. But there's this perceived convenience in self-checkout, and it's very rarely worth it. Unless you're just buying a bottle of Snapple or something like that, it's very rarely worth it to be frustrated to that degree by a regular shopping experience. So people, when they get to self-checkout, are already angry. It's like this Marxist sort of conflict between the owner of the machinery and the operator of the machinery. So I understand that people are in a bad mood when they're at self-checkout. Totally understand. So I helped this woman about eight or nine times. And now another customer needed help. Something scanned and it wasn't the right price. So we had to go in and change it. So I'm at my screen changing the price. And I guess the woman needs help again. And again, instead of hitting the help button, she just goes, hello, sir, sir, yoo-hoo, hello, sir, sir. Sir, and like I'm, I'm, I'm trying to do something. I'm trying to help another customer. Like every customer's problem is going to get the same level of attention that yours got. I wasn't helping somebody on the side when you needed help with your tomato or whatever it was that wasn't scanning. I'll be right there. It's okay. So I didn't engage in this. I didn't respond. I, I did what I was doing on the screen, and then I went over to her and I said, "I'm sorry. I was helping a customer. What can I help you with?" And she lowers her glasses and she goes, "Excuse me." 
And I said, I'm, I don't mean to be rude. I'm just letting you know that I was helping another customer. I heard you call me over, but I was in the middle of solving an issue with another customer. But now I'm here to help you with your issue. What do you need? I didn't say what do you, you know, whatever it was. I, you know, how can I help you? And she said, well, you can keep your freaking napkins. They won't scan. And I looked at the screen and of course they're scanned. They're right there. And I pointed it out to her and I said, I think they scan. I think this is the price you're looking for here. And she said, well, you, you didn't, you didn't come over to me when I called you. You should get some training. And in my head, I said, you've called me to this register like eight or nine times. So between the two of us, you tell me which one of us needs training. And then the next day I got some kind of like award for a really good interaction I had with another customer. So training complete. <laughs> uh, today I'm talking to Hannah. Hannah lives in Seattle, Washington. She's originally from Lancaster. Lancaster, Pennsylvania. But one day she packed up, moved across the country with her boyfriend, now her fiance, and moved to Seattle, Washington. She works at a Chinese food restaurant there that is scratching the surface of the life experience she's had, uh, which I was able to find out. Hannah and I were acquainted through a close personal mutual friend that we shared from a hotel we all used to work at. But Hannah filled out the application and I thought about it and I said, you know, I stand to learn a lot more about Hannah than I know right now. I don't think I know her very well at all. So I definitely felt like I was meeting her for the first time as we had our conversation. We touched on a lot of different topics. Uh, she had a lot to say about the state of the city she's living in, uh, because when we talked, there were a lot of protests going on. There was a lot of uh, civil action going on. And so I'm really excited for you to hear this conversation, and I will bring it to you in just a minute. But first, here is a word of interest about another fantastic program on the Apocalypse Podcast Network. You're listening to Stranger Than Christian on Radio. Free Brooklyn. Stay right there. <gasps> Could it be the giant pink dress? <gasps> you didn't like what you didn't like a Jimbo outfit? How dare you? I know. Hi, I'm Mijan. And I'm Nick. I like to call myself a semi-drag race expert. And I've never seen it before. So join us on our podcast, Whispering Hunties, every week for drag race expertise. And the exact opposite of that. Either way, it's a geeky. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, okay. Get How out, could I possibly take your cute cats that keep walking all over you and making know. me wish that I had a My pet? Sweet and get, get out of this podcast. I need a door slam like <laughs> right now as I throw you out of the house. Hey, Hannah. Hey. Hey, it worked. Yes, finally. <laughs> cool. How are you? Good. How are you? Excellent. How's life on the other side of the country treating you? It's good, other than um, it's really smoky right now. There's a lot of wildfires. Yeah. How close is all of that to you? Um, They're not super close to where we live because we live in Seattle. Um, they're more, um, there's a lot in Oregon and Northern California, and then there's some in Eastern Washington. But they're like at least eighty miles from us at the closest. So, 
So other than all the smoke, how is that affecting your life right now? Um, or well, is it affecting your life right now? So actually, I I just had to fly home and back for a postponed uh, wedding reception that my sister was having with our family. And um, so my fiance and I went to get a COVID test today and the walk-up centers were closed because of how bad the air quality is because they don't want people waiting in line outside in, you know, it's like a 12 out of a hundred or whatever. Wow. So, yeah, That's pretty, incredible. Pretty, yeah. They compare it to Beijing. They say it's pretty, pretty terrible quality air. That's insane. So we're in the middle of a pandemic. You could have a terrible life altering disease, but you can't go get tested because there's too much smoke in the air. Yeah. It's kind of just like 2020 has been quite the year, you know, it's all just piling up on top of everything else. <laughs> it really has, hasn't it? How long have you been in Seattle at this point? Uh, we moved in 2017. We actually got here on Thanksgiving. So. And you moved here, you moved to Seattle from Lancaster, from like Lancaster area. Yeah, I did. So what was that decision about? Um, well, uh, so Ryan's family is from there. He's originally from Seattle and I had gone there a few times to visit and meet his family members and kind of, you know, check out what's going on there. And I really loved it. Just such a beautiful place. It's so different from Lancaster County. Um, and then he, him and I were talking and he was like, I kind of want to move back to Seattle. And I was like, well, I, I guess I'm going with you then. <laughs> right. So, you just signed yeah. up for it. Yeah, basically. It was right. um, kind of a last minute decision. We had been talking about it for a while, but I didn't tell my family until pretty shortly before we were going to move. So they were kind of upset. How much stuff was packed when you told your family? Like how we, far along in the process were you? We didn't have anything packed. We told them um, about three months before we were actually going to move which to them was like the the craziest thing in the entire world. Like they expected me to give them like a year in advance kind of thing. They were not happy about it. <laughs> well, I feel like moving for people like our age, which like I'm not all, I'm a little bit older than you. I'm not like massively older than you, right. but I feel like moving for people our age is like more of an adventure than a plan or like a, like a big chore. You know what I mean? Like I think about, I sort of romanticize like moving to another state or moving to another country. And like, that would just, that would be awesome. You know yeah. what I mean? And I don't think about like, Oh, well, like, what am I going to do for money? What am I going to do for food? What am I going to do for, for, for insurance and medicine and stuff? But like, I, I don't know. That's just, to me, that's all part of the adventure, but I feel like it's a much more practical decision for people that are a lot older than us. Yeah. We, um, I mean, we basically had our, trip planned out with you know how far we were going to drive each day because we had to drive we had to put a bunch of stuff in ryan's old 1988 subaru justy and load that up and then have that shipped across the country and then we drove my car with our two cats so that was a lot <laughs> yeah how did you make such a long trip with two cats in the car um we put everything else that we couldn't fit into the Justy into my car, and then we had the litter box in the car with us. Holy shit. <laughs> that actually sounds so crazy, but... Um, no, it does. Well, I have cats, so it doesn't sound crazy. It it was just like, 
We couldn't train them to go out on a leash and go to the bathroom every time we stopped. It was just impossible because they're cats and they do what they want. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Good luck telling a cat to do anything. Exactly. So we had to kind of adapt in that way, but it was fine. It was a little weird at first and they were kind of scared because we were in the car for so long and they had no idea what was going on. But they adjusted, and they actually spent most of the time in the car just sleeping. They each had their own little spot they liked to curl up in and sleep. and So they didn't bother us much while we were driving. It was actually not as bad as I thought it was going to be. But, wow. I'm thinking about making a trip like that with my cats. Uh-huh. And I think I would just end up eating them. <laughs> I think, like, I would have eaten them, like, in Kansas. <laughs> You don't tell anyone. I won't tell anyone. It's going to be so much easier. We'll find new cats when we get to Seattle. I'm sure they have cats. It's totally fine. I feel like they wouldn't taste that good, though. (laughs) Like cats are edible. I mean, cats like they like they have meat. That's true. But what does a cat taste like? It's not something I know. (laughs) Well, I don't know, but. I, you know, I like I don't know. Well, also, like, what does horse taste like? Because horse, for a little while, was like an actual food source. Like before, it was like romanticized and like, oh, horses are so pretty. And like people used to eat horse. Like if they didn't have beef, horse right. was like the next thing down the list. You know. And to me, that seems like so unimaginable. I just they they do they they're considered this like majestic animal like so many stories and movies about them so it would be weird for me to think about eating a horse like to, to us now we just we don't see them like that i guess but i guess not but it's a really sort of inconsistent worldview and i feel like that's the point of view of a lot of vegans where like you can look at a horse and think of like sea biscuit and think of like black beauty but you can't like look at a pig or a chicken and like feel any kind of you know what i mean like people will yeah, eat yeah, like yeah. pork and chicken like with without blinking an eye but right. certain animals like as long as they're cute we don't eat those right yeah, I don't know, I'm not vegan, but neither am I. <laughs> no, no, no. I tried to be. I tried. My wife and I tried for about three months, like strictly vegan. And I, I see the appeal of it. Uh-huh. I, I don't know why we fell out of it. I think we're just weak-willed Americans, <laughs> so we like <laughs> we like missed stuff. You know what I mean? We missed like our rule when it came to our veganism was, and I don't, I don't think. I don't think this is going to sound offensive, but I'm going to say it anyway. If it is an ethnic experience, we eat it. So if we go to like, if we go to like the Dominican restaurant down the street, or if one of our friends makes us a meal, like a home cooked meal, like we're not going to go, ew, fuck this. It's not vegan. You know what I mean? Like we're going to eat it. We're not going to like, we're not going to disrespect it. Yeah, exactly. So, like, that was our one hard and fast rule. But then, like, that got extended to, like, well, 7-Eleven is kind of an ethnic experience. <laughs> or, like, or, like, Buffalo Chicken, like, Buffalo, New York. If we went to, like, Buffalo and had Buffalo Wings and, like, we didn't eat them, they would be mad. Right? So, it just kind of, like, the, like, the definition just went way out there. So, we we're like, okay, we have to stop. I know. I think um, it's definitely, like, I don't think I could become a vegan. I, as much as in my head, I think that I could do it, I truly don't. Like, I just, I really enjoy a good steak, you know? And I just, yeah. I just don't yeah. know if that's something I'm willing to part with. But that sounds so selfish. All the vegans hate me. I just, <laughs> they're, not, they're not listening. It's fine. But, no, steak was, you know what's funny? And I thought I would miss steak. But that wasn't like the number one thing I missed. The number one thing I missed was cheese. 
cheese oh, i couldn't give up cheese right that was like the hardest thing and i think that like i had one free pass sort of food that was it was cheese yeah oh my god and you don't realize just how much of it there is in everything and how much it can enhance something like if you eat a cheeseburger versus a hamburger it's a way different experience it is different when it comes to hamburgers i prefer my hamburgers without cheese Really? I, oh, yeah. I like I like it. Well, there's a place. All right. I'm going to give you a quick history lesson. Where I'm from in New Haven, Connecticut, there's a restaurant called Louis Lunch. And Louis Lunch has been around for about 150 years. No. And their claim to fame is that they, quote, unquote, invented the hamburger. So a lot of people believe the hamburger was invented in this building. Uh-huh. So you go, and it's like a little brick house. Like, it fits maybe 15 people. They cook everything on, like, old cast iron, like, appliances and, and flat, like, uh, flat top grills and their rule is that they don't do ketchup like they their burgers are so traditional that it's just sliced toasted white bread with a burger onions if you want it i don't even think they do cheese if i'm not mistaken but it's like either onions or no onions those are like the only choices so like maybe because of that i'm like a purist when it comes to like hamburgers i'm the same thing i'm the same way with sushi i like fish and rice that's it i don't like the like the weird like orange sauce and i don't like any of that (laughs) yeah i i don't know i've i haven't really eaten a burger without cheese because i've just just the way my family made burgers we always had cheese but i would be willing to try one because this place they're known for crafting the hamburger like that's yeah it's like it is an experience it must be pretty different it it, it is good and the cool thing about them is that they're open until like two o'clock in the morning of course yeah they are open like until way 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 late so like my wife and i went to a concert around the corner there's a a place called College Street Music Hall around the corner. So we went after the show and we just like sat and ate burgers and cannoli pie and like talked to this guy at the counter for like hours. It was so much fun. That's that's a cultural experience. Yeah, right exactly. There. That's, that's an, like, see that to us, that's an ethnic experience. Yes, that's a, I, I cultural is a better that. word for it because I don't know what ethnicity hamburgers are. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that, that that's definitely, I totally agree with your way of thinking when it comes to that. Like, And another thing, um, I, I watched a documentary um, a little while ago. I can't remember what it's called now that I'm thinking of it. But um, the main point of these chefs who were talking were saying, like, the most important thing that you can do if you're going to consume an animal is to treat it with respect and to utilize as much of it as you possibly can. And I thought that was so interesting. I was like, you know what? That is true. It's like if we if we do like treat them as like living things and then we utilize them for the purpose that they've given to us, then why is it bad, you know? But not a lot of places do that, obviously. So Right. And I'll t- I will tell you that one of the biggest carryovers from our time being vegan was the idea of uh, food waste and mm-hmm. throwing food out. And th- you know what I mean? And yeah. um, especially when it comes to like throwing meat out, like if you don't finish a whole burger, like I would never throw it out. Like I would out of respect for the animal and for the process, just eat the whole thing and not, you know what I mean? Because that animal didn't die to get thrown out in a Burger King dumpster. Do you know exactly. what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I totally like as agree. funny as that sounds like we're like super serious about it. Like that, that's not why 
that animal <laughs> like gave its life for us to eat it and like throw it away, you know? Right. I know. And that's such a huge problem too. We throw away so much food in America and I'm guilty of it too. I mean, I think we all do things like go to a restaurant and get something and it's huge and you're not expecting it to be that big. So you put it in a to-go box and you take it home and it sits in your fridge and you forget about it. But it, it I've been trying to be more conscious about that just because I feel really guilty thinking about how many people don't have food and right. over here throwing it away? Like, Oh, it's a huge burdensome thought. If you give it enough, if you give it the proper amount of mental energy, like it can, it can, it can really like kind of take over. It's just such a huge, huge problem. Yeah. S- Seattle seems like a really progressive kind of place. Do they, um, like do the supermarkets and restaurants and stuff give their leftover food at the end of the day to homeless people the way they do in some other cities? I think some places might, but there are a lot of laws that prevent places from doing that just because of, you know, health code violations and kind of things. Like, you could give it to the random person out on the street that you see, but you can't take it to a shelter or anything just because of those, you know, health codes. Right. Um, I'm not entirely familiar with a lot of them. I've just, I've asked at several places that I've worked where we, I knew we threw a lot away, a lot of food and they would just say, Oh, well we can't do it because of X, Y, Z. And it made sense to me, but um, I wish we could do more. Like we do. I've always worked in the restaurant industry and I've just seen how much food is thrown away every single day. And it makes you feel so guilty Like, why am I not doing something to stop this? Yeah. What are you doing for a living now? I actually work at a Chinese restaurant. (laughs) It's a family. Yeah. um, I've never worked at a Chinese restaurant before, but um, it's a family owned restaurant in Roosevelt, which is just one of the neighborhoods of Seattle. Side note, that's one thing I had to get used to when I moved here is like Seattle as a city is so large that it's split up into neighborhoods. And I had no idea what any of them were when I first moved here. I had no idea where anything was. People would be like, oh, this is in Roosevelt or this is in Maple Leaf. Like, and I'm like, I have no freaking idea what you guys are talking about. But anyways, this restaurant is um, it's about 10 minutes from where I live. So that's super nice. And um, the owners are family friends of Ryan's family, like their kids grew up together and stuff. And I wasn't actually trying to work there. I came in one day to help out because they were extremely short staffed. And I went in to help and he, the the owner was like, so you're going to work here now, right? And I liked it. And I was like, yeah, I guess I will. So I just picked up the job. I didn't have an interview or anything. (laughs) That's great. And it's 10 minutes away from your house. So you can probably walk there. It's really nice. That's awesome. Now, I had a friend years ago when I lived in Connecticut who worked at a Chinese restaurant. It was called Bao's Kitchen, the best Chinese food in West Haven, Connecticut. But (laughs) one of the things that one of the benefits to her was a benefit, I guess it would be to me, too, was she learned a lot of Chinese just from working there. Oh, yeah, I've I've learned a little bit. I'm starting to pick up just hearing the chefs talk to one another. However, so the two the owners just speak Mandarin Chinese, but all the chefs speak Cantonese. So it's like, so the original owner of the restaurant, she is this 80 year old woman. We call her Fuma. 
She is the sweetest woman I have ever met in my entire life. She is so giving. Like, she is constantly just, like, looking out for all the people who are working for her. And she, it's like having another grandma. It's the best thing. But um, she does not speak much English either. So you kind of have to, you know, they, they say speaking Chinglish or whatever. But, that, like, my boss means it seriously. Like, you, you do, you have to speak kind of a combination of both languages for her to understand you. Right. And it's, but she's so sweet. But I, I'd like to learn more Chinese, I think. I, it's hard from what I understand, but I think it would be worth it. <laughs> Mandarin is, like, the most spoken language in the world, if I'm not mistaken. But it doesn't yeah. mean it's easy. Like, I'm sure it is super complicated. Yeah, I kind of I downloaded Duolingo and was messing around with it a little bit. And it's just because everything is different. It's not in any way close to English because of the way you write it and the way you read it and everything. It's all different. So right. I, I don't even know where to start. I can't start by just doing Duolingo. Like. Well, I also imagine that like working in a restaurant or hospitality setting, you'd probably have to learn a much more conversational form of Chinese because it's not, I mean, you're not, un, un, unless I'm mistaken, you're probably not like using complete sentences. You're like shouting out the names of things so that the cooks hear you and then they're shouting things back to you. Yeah, they they mainly speak to each other. Like the the head chef speaks pretty good English. So it's like you're able to communicate with him fairly well, but there are a lot of them who don't speak any English at all, and they have no idea what you're saying when you ask for things. But um, it makes it kind of complicated when you work in the kitchen, because right now, because of COVID, we're not doing any dining service. Mm -hmm. So we're only doing takeout and delivery. So if you're working in the kitchen, you're just packing up to go orders, basically. And... So having to ask them for things that you need is difficult because of the language barrier sometimes. They're usually pretty good about it because they've been working there for so long. They just know what the words are in English. Right, but, right, right. But it definitely has caused some issues just, you know, like making sure a big thing that we deal with is like people that order gluten-free dishes or they have an allergy to something. And you have to find a good way to communicate that allergy to them so that they know like this is serious it's not just they don't want nuts in their kung pao chicken it's they could die if they have nuts in the kung pao chicken right and it's kind of hard to communicate that sometimes but for the most part they're really good about it you're listening to stranger than christian with me christian carrion on radio free brooklyn for more information to hear dozens more episodes on demand or to contact me visit StrangerThanChristian.com. My episodes are also available on major podcast outlets like Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Deezer, TuneIn, and Amazon Music. You can also find me on Facebook at StrangerThanChristian and on Twitter at StrangerThanC. If you're enjoying what you're hearing, then I kindly ask that you consider supporting me on Patreon. That can be found at patreon.com slash StrangerThanChristian. Is your restaurant doing a lot of business in the midst of the whole COVID thing and the pandemic? Yeah, we really are. Um, they're usually a pretty busy restaurant. It's small, so they can only have a certain amount of tables in there at a time. But we actually broke the record for to-go orders since the start of COVID. 
Wow. So we've been doing pretty well. I'm really thankful that we have such loyal customers there. Yeah, that's great. Is it is it a popular restaurant? Like, are there are there more popular restaurants than yours in the area? Or are you guys like the go to? Um, for Roosevelt, it's definitely the most popular place. Like, people have been coming there. It opened in 1993, so um, they've been coming there for a long time. And Judy, the lady who we call Fuma, she's the one who started the restaurant after she um, went to cooking school in Taipei and then moved here. They lived in Washington, D.C. for a little bit, and they ended up in Seattle, and she started this restaurant. Mm -hmm. And she makes her own, like, all her dishes are her recipe, and she makes homemade egg noodles, hand-rolled, fresh-cut. Those are so good. Oh, beautiful. I love noodles. Oh, I know. They're oh, my so God, good. I love noodles. So let me ask you, because earlier you talked about the decision to move from Lancaster to Seattle. And you said that you went to Seattle and you realized how beautiful it was and you wanted to move there. Now, I think that a lot of people would also say that Lancaster is like unusually beautiful. Like it's like iconic American farmland. What about Seattle is beautiful in a way that Lancaster is not beautiful? Like what's the, like what's the difference in beauty there? So the the terrain is definitely way different. Lancaster has some rolling hills, but Seattle is surrounded by mountains. Like to the west, you have the Olympic Peninsula where those mountains are. And then to the east are the Cascades. So when you're in Seattle, you can look either direction and there's mountains on both sides of you. And I don't mean just like, you know, the West Virginia, like, big hilly mountains i mean like white cap mountains like huge slabs of granite just like jutting out from and it's so gorgeous like even in the summertime when there's less snow it looks beautiful they're massive and there's also um a few dormant volcanoes that are in the cascades so you've got like north of seattle is mount baker and then, of course, the one everyone knows about is our Mount St. Helens and Mount Rainier um, to the south of us. But, like, I can see Mount Rainier when I'm driving on the highway. And it's, like, it's the most insane thing the first time you see it. You're like, holy shit. Like, that yeah. is a, that is a yeah. huge mountain. I remember that. My dad and I, years ago, this must have been about 15 years ago, we took a trip to Seattle. Um, because my dad was doing a public access TV show in Connecticut and he won an award for it. But for the ceremony, we had to go to Seattle. So we took a trip and we were there for about three days. And I remember like at one point we took like the city bus from our hotel to like the center of the city just to like explore. And I remember seeing Mount Rainier from the window and just what a surreal experience that was. Like, I know. holy shit, that's a fucking mountain. It doesn't even look real because it's no. just, it stands above everything. Yeah. No, yeah. It looks like it's painted into the sky. Yeah. And Incredible. I, I thought it was so funny because I, I had never seen it in person until I came here to visit the first time. And then um, after I was getting ready to move, I was looking through, you know, some of my stuff that I had, just like old cards and stuff like that, deciding if I wanted to take it with me or get rid of it before I move. And I found my high school graduation card that I got from my parents. And it actually had a picture of Mount Rainier on the front. And at the time, I had no idea what it was. And then I came home from Seattle and I was like, Mom, I know this. I've seen this. Like, mm -hmm. I've, I've been there. <laughs> wow. 
Do you believe in occurrences like that having a spiritual sort of uh, influence? Okay, remember I was telling you I have a lot of weird coincidences that happen to me? Yes. Like, that that's, feels like one to me. Like, that's one of those that I would put in that category. Just like, but in the category of a coincidence, and not something like like God dropped you a sign that like you were going to see this one day. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what exactly it is. I don't know if it's like, you know, just like the universe doing its thing, or if it's like karma related or anything. I I haven't really looked into any of those kind of things too much. Like, I'm a skeptic when it comes to a lot of stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Just. Like, why Why did my parents in Lancaster County have a, a car that had Mount Rainier on it? And then I decided to move to Seattle, and it's Mount Rainier. It was just weird. It's, like, just right. weird things, you know? And a, maybe it right. is just a coincidence, but maybe it's not. Maybe it was a sign that I needed to be there, you yeah. know? Well, right. I, 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 would, I would agree with that because I, in my personal life, I have had several instances that uh, could be described as coincidences, but I've had enough – things like that happen in my life where I realize that maybe this is more than that. Maybe, maybe this is, uh, something that I don't understand yet. That's having an influence in my life right now. Exactly. I totally agree with that. Like it's, it's weird to think of them on their own, but when you think about how many different types of similar experiences you've had in that aspect, it's kind of a little fishy. You're like, why, why does this happen to me so much? Right. And I feel like life is more fun that way to just look at things like that. as like, wow, that was a sign, you yeah, know, something's telling me something yeah. and I need to listen to what it's saying. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, How often do you talk to your parents? Um, I probably talk to my parents like once a week or once every other week now. But when I first moved, they were calling me like every day, every oh, single sure. day, yeah. just you know, they needed to hear my voice and like know that I was doing okay, which is fine. That's what parents do. But now they've seen like I've been living out here for three years almost, and they they were so afraid of me moving so far away from them. And it was something they couldn't really understand was like why would I want to move that far? Like what reason did I have for that? And I try to explain. It's like I don't really have a reason, but I like what reason do I have to not do it? Right, right, right. Yeah, it, once you feel it, you feel it. If you know you need to be in a place, there's really it's it's you're doing yourself a disservice at that point to ignore it. Yeah, exactly. To ignore that urge. Yeah. Like I'm young and I'm able to do these things. Like I've discovered how much I love backpacking since I moved out here because there's so many hiking trails and areas where you can go backpacking, and it's gorgeous. And if I wouldn't have left Lancaster, I would have never discovered that. I don't think. Right. Because they have that in Lancaster too, but it's just not the same. (laughs) No, no, no. And, and that's an experience that enriches your life in many ways. It's super healthy to go hiking. Yeah. Oh, the air is so fresh when it's not wildfire season. Yeah. Which, and it doesn't get this bad every single year, but some years it, it's, it gets bad. And this is just one of those years. It's been dry all summer. Right. Like, it rains three quarters of the year and then summer it like never rains at all. So <laughs> I asked about your parents because I was wondering if you were at that point in your life when you start to feel guilty that you haven't talked to them as much as you should. 
I definitely feel that sometimes. Me too. And my, my grandparents All the time. too. Yeah. Like, I'm driving in the car somewhere and I'm by myself and I'm like, I could be, you know, like on a phone call with my parents right now if I wanted to be. I could just be chatting with them for the few minutes that I have free in my day while I'm not working or going to do something else. But sometimes I just don't think about it until I'm like, well, now I only have five minutes and I know they're going to want to talk to me for longer than that. It kind of does become like a chore where I have to like designate time if they want to talk. Yeah. Yeah. Same here. Like for me, it's hard to get into that headspace where I'm ready to have a conversation with them because they're my parents. I want them to know that I'm doing well. I want them to know that I'm healthy and everything is going fine. And so I sometimes feel like I am subconsciously like desperately begging for their approval when I talk to them. So as a result, it's like hard for me to get into that mode where like I should call them. And it makes me feel guilty because like here I am in my in my little studio in my apartment. I can take an hour every week to talk to like a fisherman from Bolivia for an hour, but I can't talk to my parents for like more than 10 minutes. Like what is that about? Right. Doesn't that make you feel like crap? Yeah. It does make me feel like crap. Like it really, really does. And as a matter of fact, I'm going to call them as citizen done with you. But I because I, I was supposed to call my dad called yesterday and I was at work and I felt so bad that I, I that I couldn't pick it up. So like I called them in the bathroom. I said, hey, I'll call you when I get out. And I completely forgot to. I know I always do that. Oh my God. It makes me feel so bad. And you know, my dad will say like, as long as I hear your voice for like a second, I know you're okay. Like that's all I need. But of course he wants to talk to me. You know what I mean? Like he'll never, he'll never outright say that, you know, cause he doesn't want to stress me out. But yeah, I get, you know, I get, yeah, I miss my parents. (laughs) I do too. I miss them a lot. Like I was just home. So I saw them obviously, but right. 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 I do miss them. Like, and I can tell they miss me a lot. Like they, they hate it when I leave to go back to Seattle. Yeah. But they they've gotten okay with it. They came to visit once actually and they neither one of them had ever been out here before and they just loved it. And I was like, you guys can come back and visit whenever you want to. Like they they just thought it was so beautiful. They loved everything about it and I I finally felt some peace because I was like they finally see what I see and they can understand why I love it here so much and why I want to be here. And it was nice to have that peace of mind, you know? It has to be such a gratifying feeling, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Just like, I told you so. This is what I'm talking about. Right. Like, Like you see I didn't come here because I'm crazy. Like. (laughs) Right. (laughs) What was your childhood like? Um, Well, I lived in Leola from when I was three until when I moved to Seattle. So I've been in that same house basically my whole life. My We lived in a previous house in Lancaster. Um, and then my parents bought a house just after my little sister was born. She was born when I was like a little bit more than two years old. And then we moved into it right basically right after she was born. So she was a little baby. But I grew up, you know, with an Amish farm connected to my backyard and I, this is something I have to explain to a lot of people here who don't really understand Amish culture at all. Mm-hmm. They've never seen an Amish person or a horse and buggy or anything. Well, I'm They're, sure a lot of people that are listening probably are not familiar with it either. So explain as much as you want. Feel free to explain to me like I'm one of those people who's never heard of it. Well, my mom was an Amish tour guide for a period in time. So I kind of know a lot of random little tidbits of information about them. But just I, I grew up around them. And so seeing people who you know 
perform their daily lives way differently than we do was just normal. They were just people, you know, it's just like I'd walk down the road to the farm stand to buy fresh fruits and vegetables from them. Like I've gotten my shoes fixed from a cobbler who was Amish. Just like, it all sounds so ridiculous. Like I live in Hobbiton or something. But, <laughs> but, Almost, you're not that far off. <laughs> but but they they were just like a part of my life. Like my mom knew them all by name and they knew her and it was just like they were friends. And then when my mom became a tour guide, she could take people around. She worked for the Amish experience, um, which sounds so embarrassing to say. Like my mom's an Amish tour guide, but... Um, <laughs> And But she knew all these people who she was friends with, and they would let her take people to their barns and check out their farm equipment and, like, all the different things that they do. And it was it was just a thing. Like, they, they were just a part of my life. And everybody that I talk to thinks they're so weird and, like, they're, they're just people, too, like us. I don't know. Right. Yeah, it's just people with a different set of beliefs that happen to outwardly display it in, in a way that's different from the way we display it right and they are a little quirky sometimes just some of the things like i don't really understand fully i know there's like new world and old world amish or whatever new order or something like that yeah new order Where, amish i think it's called yeah yeah so they have um you know more progressive amish versus more traditional amish and that's kind of interesting to even think about like you know, some of them will have cell phones. Some of them don't. Like, they have ways of getting around the no electricity way of life. And, you know, some will only take rides in horse and buggy. Some are okay with paying people to drive them. You know, they call them English. That's what they call people who are not Amish. Right. English. Right, right, right. <laughs> but I guess it's not much different than a Catholic because Catholics aren't supposed to eat meat on Fridays. Some Catholics eat meat on Fridays. That's just a part of their religion that they decide not to not to go along with. You know what I mean? Right. It's it's you know, they're I guess as imperfect as most of us are. Yeah, exactly. I mean yeah, yeah nobody's perfect. That's exactly right. Just and I don't feel like I have any right to judge them just because I don't, I've never lived like them. I don't know what their lives are like or what they deal with. I mean, I know their religion is based on Christianity and the Bible, but like they just take it a little bit deeper than like modern day Christianity does. And things are more um, traditional, I guess you want, you would say, but um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I have had nothing but positive experiences with Amish people, so I can't really say anything bad about them. You're listening to Radio Free Brooklyn, independent, listener-supported radio. Radio Free Brooklyn's mission is to provide a free and open platform to our community and promote media literacy, education, and free expression. We rely primarily on donations from listeners like you. Every dollar helps us stay on the air. Support independent community media by pledging whatever you can. All contributions are tax-deductible to the fullest extent of the law. Please support with a monthly pledge or one-time donation at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash donate. If you'd like to listen to RFB when you're not in front of your computer, please consider downloading our free mobile app for iPhone and Android, available in the App Store for iPhone or the Google Play Store for Android. 
And please be sure to subscribe to our monthly newsletter for the latest news about new programming and upcoming RFB events. You can sign up at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org newsletter. Mental health is just so, it's so important. And it's even, even in the current climate of the world, it's still so understated and under, uh, underreported and under discussed just yeah. how, how important mental health is. Yeah, I know. I feel like it's become a bigger thing in the past few years. Just the idea of self-care and all that stuff. Like, right, right, right. Which is, I mean, I think it's great that, that things like that have entered the, the sort of public discourse but yeah me too it's something that's like you can be living with you know any kind of mental health issue and it directly affects you every day in your life but you don't talk to anybody about it because you know you're embarrassed because you think you're weird or you think something's wrong with you or anything like that and it's like because it's this kind of stigma where we don't talk about those kind of things but that's finally being lifted and i love it like Right. Oh, it's great. And you know what's funny? It's 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 um, really pleasing to know that that stigma has been lifted. But it's also scary to think about how prevalent how it's also scary to think about how prominent that stigma was years ago. Like, I, I don't know his name, but I think it was like either in the 50s or 60s, there was a guy running for Senate. And he was re- really, really popular until the guy he was running against dropped this bombshell in the media that this guy had depression and this guy had to drop out of the race because it was such a there was such a stigma attached to that right and that's so terrible oh my god it's horrible and and things things like that that make other people who suffer with similar issues embarrassed to even talk about them like something i've been learning a lot more about is how good therapy can be even for just your normal everyday person who's not dealing with a ton of problems yes like yep. it's important to talk to somebody about what you're thinking and what you're feeling because if you don't it just gets all bottled up in there and then the explosion happens and it's not usually a good thing right that's what's dangerous i the way i i talk about it with my wife because i started going to therapy about a year ago um it's almost like having this big ball of yarn that you just need somebody to help you untangle it. Yeah. You know, you just need somebody to like walk you through these things that, because at at this point in my life, and I would say like over the past five years, I've just, I'm like learning more and more how to be a man and how to, how to be just like an upstanding person in society. You know what I mean? I'm just like, I'm, I'm trying to break a lot of cycles and I'm trying to break a lot of toxic behaviors that I feel like I picked up from just years of living at home. And, you know, that's a lot to carry in a person's mind. You know what I mean? Like that's like for me that, that like, that's a huge burden to always be thinking about that. And it was really helpful for me to be able to talk that out with somebody and and almost like to talk it out with a neutral party. Cause I can talk to my wife, but you know, Exactly. It's like it's you know, not like her responsibility to be my therapist. You know, so it's great to have somebody that I can talk to that's like 
not here. You know what I mean? Like, right. I feel like my therapy is the ultimate self-care. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, you're trying to untangle that ball of yarn, but you don't need a person who's going to judge you for how big the ball of yarn is or how many knots you've gotten in it or anything like that. It's good right. to have someone on the outside who just has no idea about anything. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Do you, um, do you meditate? I do. Do you? How often? Not as often as I would like. I used to be really good about it. I did it a lot, actually, when I was working at the inn, even if we were at work and, you know, we had a moment where we would all be able to sit out back or whatever, you know, take a break. I I would I would do it a lot there just because I felt very stressed when I was there. And it was I, I have to tell you something. There was a day, I think it was when we picked up my friend Brian from the train station. It was me, you, him, and Larissa. Yes. And it, it was like before, it was like ass crack of dawn. And we picked him up. It was still dark. And we went to CVS in New Holland. And the, yes. sun was, and the sun was coming up. And you saw the sunrise. And you were like, holy shit, that looks good. And you just like jumped on the hood of the car and just like <laughs> meditated on top of the car. I remember that. <laughs> that was one of the points at that particular part of my life where I went, holy shit, I should try that sometime. And, and it, it, wasn't, like- it wasn't very long after that that I started meditating on a regular basis. But part of my uh, part of the reason why I wanted to try it is because you doing it looked so cool in that moment and so beneficial that I was like, I should do, I should try this. See, I was way better about it then too, like not caring that people saw me doing it. You know, that was a big thing. Was like, do I look like a total freaking weirdo right now? Like, do people think I'm crazy? Oh but no, that- I thought it was so cool. But oh, that's good. That yeah. I was having a stressful morning. I think I got like two hours of sleep the night before, and uh, you know, I was just like feeling super tired. But I was like, you know what? This is a great moment for this. I need to just like soak all this up right now and enjoy the moment where I'm at. Like, right? It, it was well, great. I mean, talk about self care. Like to be able to drop everything going on at the moment and realize that you need this right now, and to go ahead and take it for yourself. That's that's really empowering. You know it what really I mean? Is. Yeah. It's so yeah. important too to, you know, pay attention to yourself and realize that if you need something, whether it's, you know, a moment of quiet for yourself or, you know, you need water, you need food, anything like that. That's something I've been learning is very important to pay attention to. Is like if your body is telling you or your mind is telling you that you need something, then you have to you have to help it. Right. You know? right. Because it knows what it needs. Like, if I need sleep, I need to take a freaking nap. I need to, like, take a step back and let myself relax for a little bit. Once you realize that you are worth the time you want to take for yourself and that nobody in the world is more important than you in that moment, once you make those realizations and once you internalize them, it it just opens up a whole new plane of existence. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's just once you realize you're worth it. Like just like even just that thought, you can build so much on just that basic foundation of a thought that like you are worth it. Yeah, absolutely. It it's definitely life changing to be able to think about to be able to think about yourself as someone who needs to be taken care of. I don't know. That's right. a problem I've always had. I was just talking about it with my fiance the other day. Like I tend to put other people's needs before my own, especially if I feel like I'm going to be inconveniencing them in some way. Like it's a people pleaser thing, I guess, where I will do basically anything that anybody asks me for fear of like letting them down, 
or experiencing them. And it's such an unhealthy habit. Like I have put myself on the back burner far too many times because of it. And then I've, you know, been burning the candle at both ends because I can't keep up with everything that I have to do for all these other people. And so I neglect myself because of that. And I've learned that that is the worst thing that I can do. So I have to be very conscious about it. And meditation definitely helps me to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't know that I went through a very serious depression, but I, I, I had, I had my time when I just, I felt like I wasn't myself. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that, one of the hallmarks of that time for me was just not having energy to do anything. Yeah. Like I wouldn't do anything. And like my wife would come home and be like, what the fuck? Like nothing is done in the house. Like what happened? And I just, I, I just, I would have no explanation because I would just have no mental energy, no wherewithal to like get up and do anything. But yeah. meditation came in clutch for me because that was like one thing every day that I could say I did that. You know what I mean? Like that, yeah. I, I accomplished this today. Oh, that makes and me then, so happy for you. I love yeah, that. And then, and then like from then on, like it's easier to build off of that. Like if I can do that, then I can do other stuff. You know what I mean? And like it, it just, it it really, really, that, that and doing things like this podcast helped so much. They're positive, healthy routines. Yes. You know, that's, and that's, happen. yeah. And especially, you know, during the pandemic. And I feel like I've mentioned this so many times to so many different people on this show, but being able to set aside time to do this and being able to uh, put together a schedule for myself where I do this on Mondays and Tuesdays, I edit on Thursdays, I release on Fridays. Like just being able to hold myself to that has been one of the biggest accomplishments in my personal life this year, that just being able to have that discipline and being able to hold myself to that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So I, there's a question that I ask everybody who does this show because uh, participating in this podcast was a choice. You filled out the thing. You went to the website and did whatever and sent me the thing. Um, and I'm really glad you did, by the way. Thank you so much. But yeah, <laughs> what made you want to participate? What made you say yes and want to be part of this? Well, I saw the application because Larissa shared it. And she is like, you know, my number one friend on social media. So I was like, I should look through this and see. After I had watched a few or listened to a few of your podcasts, I was like, this is really interesting what he's doing. Like, you just talk to the most random people about whatever. And it's so cool because everybody sounds like so relaxed and so like such a like good conversation that you guys have and I was like you know what this could be fun like I kind of have some random weird facts about myself I guess so I decided to do it and I was like you know Christian he's like the funniest person I've ever met in my entire life so I know this will be fun I have to just do it and then I filled out the application and afterwards I was like oh no what have I done I was like, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> and then I messaged it. I was like, I would totally want to talk to you. Are you kidding me? And then I told Ryan about it and he was like, oh. And he, I was like, I'll try not to say anything stupid. Like, <laughs> That's my promise to myself at the beginning of every episode before I turn my microphone on. Like, I will not say anything stupid. Well, he today. just said, just promise me you won't get too political. <laughs> well, I hope that this was as relaxed an experience as it was when you heard it. I oh, hope yeah. like participating in it was as relaxing 
as it seemed when you first listened to the podcast. Christian, you are like one of the easiest people to talk to ever. Oh you my know? God, I, it was my pleasure. I was not even sure that I would be selected as a candidate. I was like, I don't think I'm interesting enough for this. But it's just like normal everyday people. You were looking for I'm exactly. here. <laughs> you were more than interesting and more than interesting enough for this. And I, I appreciate it so much, Hannah. Thank you. I appreciate you. Oh, I appreciate you. Have a good night. All right. Stay Thank safe you. over there. Yeah, you too, Christian. Bye. Stranger Than Christian is produced by me, Christian Carrion, from my studio in beautiful Lancaster City, Pennsylvania. Visit StrangerThanChristian.com for more information, to contact me, or to hear dozens of additional episodes on demand. Also, find the show on your favorite major podcast platform, on Facebook at Stranger Than Christian, and on Twitter at Stranger Than C. If you enjoyed the show, I kindly ask that you support me on Patreon. To do that, go to patreon.com slash strangerthanchristian. Until next week, my name is Christian Carrion. Thank you so much for tuning in to Stranger Than Christian on Radio Free Brooklyn. Good night. Radio Free Brooklyn is pleased to announce the second Wall of Lies, a groundbreaking visual art project demonstrating the unprecedented lack of honesty from our current Commander-in-Chief. The original wall, which was first displayed in Bushwick, Brooklyn, was vandalized with white supremacist slogans including Vote Trump or Die and Stand Back and Stand By. The new wall, twice as long as the original, is on public view at the northwest corner of Lafayette and Grand Streets in Soho until the 2020 election is decided. The new wall in Manhattan is twice as large as the original, spanning over 100 feet, and will include Black Lives Matter-themed artwork next to the mural, provided by local artists. More information is available at RadioFreeBrooklyn.org slash Wall of Lies. Let's teach people something super quick. Every year, uh, more people die from getting hit on the head with coconuts than they do from shark attacks. <laughs> <laughs> like dead dead? It's not that many because like only like one or two people, I think, die from shark attacks every year. The low teens for the coconuts. Coconuts are hard. Teach, teach me something, something good. good. Now on your local favorite podcast thing. <laughs> yeah, all podcast things. Stop, stop, stop. Do not adjust your ears. You are hearing me clear. My name is Gamal, and I am a culture queen. My name is Sajda, and I'm a contrary queen, okay? I'm coming at you with devil's advocate realness. I'm Jelani. I'm a tangent queen. I'm going to distract us from whatever we're talking about and say something I wanted to. Join us all for Pod Queens, a show where we wade into the steamy waters of culture. Pod Queens, available wherever you get your podcasts. Insert tagline here. Because this virus attacks the lungs. It's never more infuriating when you realize that your life has a price tag on it. The truth of the matter is we are in the middle of an apocalypse. There's no leadership. I went from being an ER nurse to you're a healthcare hero. I feel like a sham. Apocalypse Now is a podcast that asks if we are living at the beginning of the end. I'm Joanna Van Thine. Join me every week as I talk with interesting people and decide if we're all doomed. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. 
Thanks for listening to the Apocalypse Podcast Network. For more great podcasts, go to apocalypsepodcastnetwork.com. And remember, every time you support one of our sponsors, you're supporting the podcast you just heard.